Welcome back to the second season of the Barrel Horse Life podcast. I am your researcher, editor, marketing director, and host, Amy Davenport, coming at you with a full belly of holiday goodies. I don't know about you guys, but I probably consumed at least 7,538 calories over this holiday season, and if I had to guess, at least 3,000 of that was from cake. Ain't nobody turning away Grandma's Christmas cake. Today I had the privilege to talk with one of the most respectable equine dentists in the whole industry. His name is Randy Redinger. Randy Redinger. Redinger? Redinger? As we all know, I'm great with names, said nobody ever. (laughs) He is a legend. I mean, he's a true legend among all that have come to know him. He's the Babe Ruth, the Michael Jordan, the Michael Phelps of the equine dentistry industry. His clientele includes barns of world champion rainers, barrel racing horses, cutters, ropers, not to mention the cutest ponies ever. In all 36 short years of my life, I have never, never, ever met somebody so passionate and caring about their job. And I'm just going to warn you about a halfway through this podcast, you might want to grab a tissue. We both get a little bit emotional on this one. You know what else makes me cry? Hearing the end of my draw it out bottle when I run out of spray. Listen how to get your own in this very next commercial break from the fine folks at Draw It Out. Just kidding. It's still me in the commercial. it's Amy. I want to tell you a little something. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you have horses. Maybe not barrel racing horses. You might just have the backyard pet, but either way, they're our best friends. And performance horses are athletes, and we ask a lot of them. Draw It Out is an all-natural topical liniment that removes heat, inflammation, and soreness anywhere on your horse's body. You can put it under wraps, saddle pads, even blankets. I mean, there's nothing on the market that's like this. It's completely safe, 100% natural, and it's super convenient to use. I keep it in the barn, in the trailer. Heck, I even keep it in the house. Their deep penetrating formula is completely sensation free. So it goes on your horses gently with zero heating, zero cooling, and no tingling effects. You guys, that means there's no burns and no blistering with this product on our best friends. That's huge. I never leave home without their concentrate spray and gel. And in the summertime, their citroquin bug spray is the real deal. It actually works. Their new master mud poultice and ice bath are essential when competing and hauling down the road. Truly, keeping down as much inflammation as possible is key to the 1D. Click your way on over to LonePrairiePHS.com. That's LonePrairiePHS.com and enter code AMY10 in the checkout. Let's keep our animals competing at the top of their game. This podcast is brought to you by WOCO, a weight loss and performance training program for Western women designed to help you reach your goals inside and outside of the arena. 
To find out if you are a good fit for the program, go to woco.com. When I went through Jamie's program myself, I gained way more than I bargained for. In our first session together, she asked me, what's your goal? I said back, I just want to fit back into my gosh dang pants again. And that's no joke. Not only can I fit back into those pants, but I had to go buy all new ones because they're all too big. Yes. Jamie taught me that my body needs carbs, which I love. And I need to listen to my hunger cues and be prepared to feed them. And always have an emergency dinner in the freezer for those long days when you fail at life and you don't want to fail at dinner. Jamie's a registered dietitian and an accomplished 1D barrel racer, so she totally gets it. Go to woco.com and use code Amy10, that's W-H-O-A-A-C-O.com and use my code for any service. All right, well, today on the show, we have Randy Riedinger. Did I say that correctly? Yes. All right, very good. We all know how good I am at pronouncing names. We have Randy on the show, and Randy is a certified equine dentist. So, Randy, I'm going to let you take it from here and tell us who you are, where you're from, and what you've been up to. Okay, yeah, my name's Randy Riddinger. I live in uh, Weatherford, Texas. I've been an equine dentist. I guess I started uh, 1992, so I'm coming up on 30 years in May. Um been quite the journey. I used to train show horses, grew up on a farm and a ranch. We had 30 broodmares, two studs. Horses were always my uh, passion. And uh, I got introduced into the equine dentistry from a couple friends of mine, Jimmy Ferguson and Scott Selland, in 92. And uh, I thought, boy, first time I stuck my hand in a horse's mouth where they had a speculum on, and I, I was just, I thought, what? Well, why do you got to do their teeth? They're not old, you know, and young horses don't need it, but on the contrary, they need it the, the most. And it was like, God, this is for you. Uh, it was one of those Jesus moments, you know, that everybody, well, where's your, where's your, uh, I don't know, goal or your, uh, calling, yeah. Calling in life. And it was just, wow, it was like lightning struck me first time I felt in the horse's mouth and realized just, how much problems there are for an animal that's confined to, you know, how we want them to live and what we want to do with them anyway. I paid them guys a couple thousand dollars and went with them for six weeks running a dull chip float, which I didn't know about. And, uh, yeah, it was a tough deal. And then I went on to school after that. And, uh, it's a long, a lot of history, but, uh, it's been, uh, it's been quite a career and quite a blessing. And, uh, it's just been a, a real easy to get up early every morning and go go do my job. I just totally love it. It's 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 awesome. Well, I get it. I mean, so when you have a job that you enjoy doing, it makes it so much easier to get up and go to work in the morning. Um, you know, what's the saying that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life? Well, that's not always true, but it makes it a lot easier to get up and get going for sure. So. I know you've been on the road with Charmaine James for many years. Um, now that you're kind of back home, getting off the road, you have a huge clientele. When I was doing my research on you this last week, um, I found out through just social media and looking up what you and Heather have posted, you have a huge clientele, including you do all of Charmaine's horses, Baba Vila, Fred Tabor, 
Casey Deary's whole crew. I can only imagine the amount of money you've had your hand in their mouth. <laughs> Brittany Posey-Tanazi, Shelly Morgan, Taylor Jacob and Shane Hanchi's crew. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's not like they just have one horse. They have entire barn full of champions and babies that are up and coming. So, I mean, that's got to speak volumes to you. And also... You are you established the Texas Institute of Equine, Equine Dentistry in Weatherford, Texas in 2002. I thought that was super interesting, Randy. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I, uh, in 90, I guess it was 96, there was a school that moved from uh, Nebraska over to Idaho. And I got involved with that school and the guy running the school, you know, I was like, I've been doing dentistry for three years before that. I called the guy up there, Dale Jeffries. Uh, he started that school there, and uh, I was visiting with him and uh, about coming to the school and this and that. And I said, "So, so if I come to that school, what, what, am I going to learn how to make more money?" You know, that was my question. And because uh, I, I thought I already knew a lot of stuff, but actually, when I started, there's probably only sixty people in the whole world that even did it, and and to a uh, you know, a decent standard, which uh, I found out once I started going there. Anyway, he, long story short, he said, well, I'll tell you this. If you want to come to my school and learn how to help horses, educate the public to the needs and the problems that horses' miles have, you can come. If you want to learn how to come and make money, you just stay home. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah. I, that hit me like a ton of bricks, you know. Yeah. I was like, "Oh, all right." And so, with that said, I went up there and started getting involved in that school. And then uh, I just kept going to every class four times a year there for eight or nine years. But uh, after the first year or two, I I became an instructor there, and then uh, I, I guess I was involved in that school about ten years, and then. Uh, I also ran the program, was on the teach, original teaching policy committee, and that's, you know, it was just, like I said, it, one thing led to another, to the, to another, and uh, after I left there, I moved to Texas, I guess, in 2000. I'd been always working here, but moved here full-time in 2000, bought a place, and then I, so while doing Charmaine's clinics, you know, uh, there's a lot of people out there that never had much dentistry done on their horses just wasn't a lot of people out there and then there was some that were getting it done and some of it was pretty decent and i thought man we need we need we need some more people and better people so i decided to start a school and uh i run it the same way we did up there in idaho and uh i just uh i guess i ran that for about 10 years and then uh, got to a point where i just decided i I just wanted to do the, the teeth and not do the school anymore. The school's a lot of work. Yeah. And, and I love teaching, and I learned more teaching, and, and we made a lot of real good dentists. After 20 years of teaching, I decided I, I just wanted a little simpler life and then just, you know, take care of my clients and slow down a little bit because I was still running the school and working all over the country. I was running the West Coast, the East Coast, the Florida, Kentucky. Uh, I been into Europe several times working with vets over there and back and forth and, and then all over every every state in the country from Mexico to Canada. I, I was like, man, I need to slow up because I wasn't getting a ride or rope or hardly do anything my own self. And, uh, so 
uh, that's kind of how I got going with the schools and, and all that. I'm a certified equine dentist in the International Dentistry Association and also a examiner for the testing for the certification program and on the board of directors and the board of examiners. We put on some wet labs, two, three day, day wet labs, teach everybody what's required of them to pass the, the certification test. And uh, so I'm, I'm still involved with that. And that's not only teaching I do other than I have some past students and some people that they want to come spend a month with me or a couple of weeks and, you know, that kind of thing. I, I still do some of that. But as far as running a full-time school, I, I don't anymore. Yeah. What does it take to become an equine dentist? Is it like how much schooling is involved and hands-on work? Well, so nowadays what we have is uh, through the international, well, here in Texas, some states the laws are you have to be a veterinarian only. Some states you have to work with a veterinarian. Um, but to become certified through the International Dentistry Association, you have to have 240 hours of schooling and pass a certification test. And then whatever states that is, uh, what the laws and regulations are, you're allowed to work, whether it's direct supervision or indirect supervision. Sedation-wise, you, you, it's not legal to sedate unless you're a veterinarian or working under a veterinary that you know, you're working with. And in Texas, uh, we actually have a a licensing program through the vet board but you again need the 240 hours of dental school and pass the international exam and submit your paperwork to the vet board do the uh the laws and rules and regulations uh test through them and then stay in good standing you know with them and keep your your hours up of uh, continuing education and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So It's very comparable to anybody that upholds a state license. You have to go get so many hours before you get your license. You have to, you know, as far as schooling, then you have yeah. to, yeah. um, well, take we're the only state that, that actually has a license. Uh, we're trying to get other states to, to oh. get involved. It was a quite a, quite a deal to get that done. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of other states, as long as you're, uh, Certified through the international, uh, you're allowed to work under whatever the, those state laws and regulations are. I see. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's been a long journey and a battle. I tell you, it wasn't it wasn't all roses because starting out, it was really, you know, the vets were kind of against it. But it's uh, there's so many horses and and it, you know you can't get everybody can't get everybody down there. There's still not enough dentists and veterinarians to do it so but well like you said randy you have traveled east to west north to south all over this country with charmaine james and her crew um giving seminars and working on horse's mouth at all of her clinics and i want to say thank you for teaching me and showing all of us the importance of how important a horse's mouth is to have proper balance and have good equine dentistry um the very first time I watched your seminar at her clinic, I had no idea that equine dentistry was this big of a deal. Um, when I showed up with my mare, uh, she was, I think, like four or five or six years old at the time. She still had her wolf teeth. And when you opened her mouth, <laughs> I'll never forget what you told me. I won't repeat it on here. But you you got your work cut out for you. You definitely earned your money that day. So 
again, thank you for setting me straight and teaching me proper equine dentistry. But another thing that you teach in the seminar, you teach proper, not only proper balance of a horse's mouth, but you teach, you know, how the TMJ aligns with, you know, the atlas and the spine, everything's connected, um, which we'll get into further on in this podcast. But and one thing that I want to touch on really quick is the difference between an equine dentist and a vet working on your horse's teeth. I know it can kind of be a gray area, and sometimes people don't have access to an equine dentist. All they have is their local vet. So I want you to kind of explain the difference in that, um, and I want, I want to hear your opinion on that. Uh, I'm going to give my best not to step on toes on this deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a controversial thing. Um starting just go way back you know when i started there was we had some hand floats and they weren't even the greatest hand floats and then later on we got better hand floats where you could do a better job so it was real physical and as far as uh, much education as far as equine dentistry and vet school and a lot of vets will attest to this they you know they had maybe six hours tops if that okay we're going to go out in the field and float some brood mares we're going to show you how to do this and do that and, and that was kind of it and you know when i started with dale jeffries and those guys that they knew and figured out the importance well first of all let's even go back further than that uh it's nothing new that, that this has been around since the 1700s the, the in the 1800s in the calvary they they all did the dentistry knew the importance of that and i can get into that a little bit because that's really interesting as well with that said we learned more about it and as time went along we learned how to balance the mouth the importance of not just taking the points off the importance of bit seats adjusting the incisors and it's a whole whole that's a whole nother realm of what we'll talk about here in a while but today there are a lot of veterinarians nowadays that that's all we want to do is dentistry. And there's a lot of good veterinary dentists nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, as well as lay dentists. So, and it goes the other way too. There's some lay dentists that, you know, that they, they could be a little better educated and have a little better equipment and that kind of thing too. This is why I do the seminars at the clinics and, you know, educate people is going back to what Dale said. If you want to come and learn how to make money, don't come but if you want to learn how to educate the public to the problems the horses have and help the horses so you know in a stable environment their whole life changes and we bring them into our world keep them for for what we want them to do and you're going to live where we say you're going to eat what we say well that's not necessarily the best form we become their keepers Mm -hmm. so understanding that a horse is to graze 16 18 hours a day they balance their own mouth for the most part the other the problem is horses in the wild like that wear their teeth out by the time they're 16 or 18 today's world if we manage the mouth right keep it balanced keep things in check and with the feeds that we have they're not as abrasive they can have a really good teeth well up into their 30s for the public is finding somebody that understands it, educates yourself. Are they licensed? Did they get the schooling? Do they keep up their education? What vets are doing it full time? Uh, to me, it's a full time deal. Uh, you, you do one thing, you do it good. And that's kind of how I look at it. And I try to educate the public and, and do what's best for the horse. 
Sure. Absolutely. Always put the horse first. Absolutely. So what are, what are its needs? Instead of taking shortcuts or, you know, oh, we don't need to do this this time or that time. Oh, he's okay this time. You always hear that. But as far as the, there's really, you can't really say, why is the equine dentist better than a veterinarian or why is a veterinarian better than an equine dentist? It goes back to the intent and the integrity of the person doing it, in my opinion. So again, there are, there's a lot of the, the education. There's way more education out there now. And a lot of vet schools are teaching more dentistry and putting on seminars, other vets that are full-time dentists put and teaching other veterinarians. And there's a lot of veterinarians that go to the schools as well. Uh, the, the, that the lay dentist put on because mm -hmm. there's just so much research and education in it now. It's quite amazing. Uh, so I can't really say, you know, a lay dentist is going to be better than a better. That's going to be better than a lay dentist. It's just, uh, it goes back to the horse owner educating themselves into, you know, what, what what are their needs? What do they feel the best with or the comfortable with? And you you always have the people with the hand floats say the the guys with the power floats are ruining the mouths. The guys with the power floats saying the guys with the hand floats can't do it. Or it's really not about that. The, the mouth only functions and works one way. Once you know how to take care of that mouth and maintain it and educate the public to what needs to be done, and it that's where that's where the bottom line. So finding that person could be a little difficult sometimes. Yes, so. depending on where you live in yeah. the area. Like we live here in the Midwest in Illinois, and it took me a long time. <laughs> right. But I'm very fortunate to have found somebody. So it, I agree. It depends on the person. One and, of the reasons I started school years ago was just, you know, to get more better educated people out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I think the horse culture as a whole has a lack of an education about how important the mouth really is, you know, and I'm it's, fortunate enough to be able to provide a platform that can reach a lot of people. So let's dive into some of the basic horse dentistry knowledge, like knowledge 101. So uh, let's go on ahead and I'll have you explain what a, what a dentistry float is and what it means and how important it is to a horse's mouth. Let's just start out at two years old. A lot of the, all my, top people and even the ones that aren't you know everyday people they all come in two-year-olds before they start training them they'll start training them here in february they all get them done those teeth are sharp real sharp on those babies and they'll have wolf teeth so when you put a bit or a bridle on them or even a side pull or a halter anything that pushes the cheeks or the lips or the sides of their cheeks into those sharp points and teeth those horses get a reaction and that's why they don't like their face messed with or you put a bridle or a bit on them and you start training them and you don't take the wolf teeth out you don't reduce or remove the points and uh, the sharp points and put bit seats that kind of thing you always hear well don't don't pull on your head don't pull on your head and i when i used to train colts and stuff years and years ago almost every time you know until you got them used to that bit if you pulled on them too much, they'd freak out, throw their head up in the air, flip over, one turn, you know, all kinds. I can remember things we used to have to do to try to get those horses broke. But they shed 24 teeth between two and a half and four and a half. So we start these babies at two, remove the points, take the wolf teeth, put bed seats on, balance that mouth. And then when those trainers go to riding them and working with them, 
they have no fear and those babies don't have that pain in their mouth they they relax they they don't worry but when that stuff's in there and you go to pulling on them and they freak out and then people start tying their head around tying it down between their legs doing all this stuff uh it becomes a problem the ones that do their teeth and get a good job those horses in 30 days look like they've been ridden in 90 mm-hmm. and the ones the ones that uh, haven't had their teeth done the majority of them in 90 days still look like they've been ridden 30 you know so mm-hmm. uh, again it goes back to educating them and then like i said they shed their teeth uh caps between two and a half and uh, four and a half they shed all their insides their caps at two and a half three and a half four and a half and the first three molar teeth on the bottom at two and a half three and three and a half well again right when at the futurity time on these three-year-olds of the rainers and the cutters and some of the juvenile bell racings and stuff they got a lot of teeth coming and going when those teeth get loose they just don't fall off that day it'll take them a month uh, six weeks for that for that deciduous or that baby tooth to fall off on its own in the meantime they're trying to ride them and eat them and they're slinging their head around and fighting with them and they're trying to get by here and get but again if a person done those horses especially the young ones every six months some of my clients we do them every 90 days mm-hmm. because they're not all born january 1st yeah. there are three-year-olds or two-year-olds but they're all born months apart so the trainers have figured out they don't want to fight with them and as soon as they get a little mouth problem we clean them back up take the caps off when the new tooth comes in it's sharp we correct it and and they go on with it and those horses' lives are so much better when you do that. And then on the older horses from four up, uh, once you've got them balanced, it's really easy to keep them maintained. Um, and a lot of people say, well, once a year is good enough, once or every two years. And a performance horse, it's not, because I don't care who does it. Within six months, those teeth are getting sharp again, and they're hanging up. You, you lose balance of their mouths. Their incisors start to get long and the angle gets steep because they don't get to use the incisors to keep them short. In the wild, when they graze, they keep their incisors or the front teeth short and at a shallow angle, which keeps the back molars together. Here's how it works. God designed these horses to take care of their own mouth in the wild. A horse puts its head down on the ground. The bottom jaw moves forward. When he raises his head up, it goes backwards. So those molars rub against each other when their head goes up and down. That's what keeps them level. And and to stay in contact, they chew grass all day, and they keep their front insides short so they stay together. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. That dog has to move left and right, forward and back to maintain itself. And I've seen lots and lots of wild horses have pretty good mouths, grazed all their life, never never been fed nothing. What was really impressive to me, there's a lot of horses in Florida, they graze year-round. And there was horses that never had their teeth done, were 10, 12 years old, and their mouths were in pretty good shape still. So they do they do maintain themselves, but when you put them in a dry lot or a stall or a pen, they eat, they eat the food you put in front of them, and an hour later they're standing around with their head up looking around. And feeding their feed those horses down low as possible makes a big difference because it opens up their airways, their nasal congestion goes away, they drain out uh, their the dust and the stuff. That's how they're intended to to eat, not with a hay net or a, a 
hay feeder up on the side of the wall, breathing in all the dust. So your respiratory problems go way down when you feed your feet on the ground or lower, somewhere down low. Mm-hmm. And it opens up the cradle system of the horse. It stretches their necks, their backs, clear to their hips, like it's in, they're intended to do again, again in the wild, you know. So, uh, so my job is to make sure that mouth stays that way from the time it's two until it dies. I maintain and manage that mouth to do what they're supposed to do in the wild from the time they're born till they die. Does, does that make sense to you? Absolutely. That was very satisfying. <laughs> that's, that's my job. That's what an equine dentist job is supposed to be. And you always hear nowadays, it's, oh, well, you shouldn't do those front teeth. You shouldn't do bed seats. You shouldn't do this or do that. Because a lot of it's difficult. And, and if you don't know what you're doing, you can cause other problems. So, uh, And a lot of people don't like to work that hard or... Again, it's why we have some schools and and do some better things. So there's all kinds of different things that people go through. But in all actuality, this is how the month works. It's designed to work if it was in the wild. And no, never in a pen, never in a crowd, nobody messing with it. So once we understand the function and the movement of the mouth, we keep that mouth balanced. When I say balanced... From the TMJ joint, which is below the ears, it's the hinge point of the lower jaw. That's the only jaw that moves. It moves left and right, forward and back. Well, I want that mouth to have equal pressure from the joint all through the molars and the same pressure on their incisors. Because as that head goes up and down, if those molars don't stay in contact, it puts extra pressure on the TMJ joint or on the incisors. So... Not only do we have to know how to remove the sharp points and clean it up, we have to learn how to each. There's certain teeth that miss a line that you have to because the teeth erupt all through their life, not and they grow till they're about eight, and then from there they're designed to wear away and, and erupt or move into the mouth. Well, the more you keep that mouth in check and balance, and and it's only minimal work every six months, not a major deal. Those that mouse lasts you slow down the eruption of the reserve crown so let's say a horse at eight years of age is probably full length of adult tooth two and a half inches maybe some three inches well from that point there's only a little bit that sticks out of the gum that wears away and then the other teeth move up in as time goes on but if one tooth gets ahead of another it an unopposed tooth that the other teeth then it gets the whole mouth out of whack, and one tooth will wreck, will wreck the opposing tooth. So the overlong teeth have to be addressed to allow the teeth that are being compromised to erupt or move into place. But, again, if you keep it from a young age to an older age, you, that mouth will stay good. I mean, we, we, can, we look at horses every three to six months, avalos, posies, Charmaine's, you know, everybody we work for. And those mouths are really pretty easy to work on and, and real not much to do on them. So that's the key. It's the same as if they grazed all their life and, and took care of it. Plus, people that are competing, if that mouth stays in check, they do better. Those horses ride better. They stride better. They're more confident, more comfortable when you've got to pick up and help them instead of being fearful when you pick up and, and 
bit runs into the uh, the cheek into a sharp tooth or the eyelid of the bit because there's an angle on those upper teeth mm-hmm. and they get sharp the, the, where the bit hooks to the head stall it digs right under that ledge and pushes the cheek into it and we see so many cuts and sores on horses you know until you get their mouth cleaned up and but for trainers have to produce a product people that rodeo for a living or they have the sources got to be comfortable or they can't concentrate on their job, you know. This is why a lot of people still buy a lot of bits and this and that, and they go, oh, it must be this problem. But with a mouth that's pretty well balanced, makes a big difference. So, that's And there's other issues that go along. If the mouth is in bad shape and, and people are fighting with them or putting down tie-downs and brain chains and all kinds of other things, they can get their neck out of place. They can not carry their balance body balance because they're carrying their head sideways to the left or to the right when they circle well then a lot of times that's why one circle to the right they do good to the left they don't or vice versa it it all it's all tied in to the to the tmj joint the next their vertebrae atlas axis all of that it's all got to but it starts in the mouth when they're young and keep them comfortable there and it keeps them out of a lot of wrecks Randy, I read an article recently where you were elaborating on horses having dental problems versus training problems. Um, I would like you to elaborate a little bit. Um, I know we could talk for maybe two hours about this. <laughs> we have, uh, I hear all the time, you know, my horse grabs the bit and pulls the reins out of my hands. I see horses shake their heads at the barrels. You know, it's not always a training problem. It could very simply just be a dental problem. Uh, so I'd like you to elaborate and talk a little bit more in detail about the difference in the two. If you don't do their teeth, you, you have a good trainer with good hands, good feel, good timing, maybe starts them in a, a side pole, Roselle. Some, a lot of them start them in halters now. They And, you know, they have good feel, good timing with their hands, so they're being careful. But the teeth are still sharp, and you got wolf teeth, and... Wolf teeth are a problem because they, they're they a little sharp toothed. Usually they're on the uppers, but can be on the lowers, and they stick out right in front of the first premolar. Well, when you pull on a bit, it pinches that lip between that tooth and the, and the bit, and that they react. So they either throw their head up in the air, shake their head, or they, they when you ask to turn, they don't want to turn. Um, so that's your starting right from day one you'll see it you know but there are a lot of trainers that are pretty handy and can get them going but then the average person so even when i used to train uh i didn't know about dentistry and i could get the horse riding pretty good i had to produce a product for the public that i was training or otherwise i wouldn't get any more horses to train but it didn't take but a month after those people getting them and maybe they didn't have good feel with their hands maybe the reins were uneven maybe they're it was too tight on the sides and pushing against the cheeks or you know lots of different things so much but those horses would start to go backwards so by again correcting and fixing and balancing their mouth you protect those horses from inexperienced riders or speed events timed events you're not going slow with a loose you know you might have to take a hold of them to slow them down and to turn them team panners uh, cutters, uh, rainers, all you know, bell racers, ropers. 
it's a degree of difficulty when you start going faster mm-hmm. and start having to pull more. So they'll shake their head, put their nose up in the air. They'll carry their head sideways. They they, they won't lope circles. And if you take a hold of them, they want to rear up or, or step off to the left or to the right. They get scared. I mean, I see people, it even happens, you know, years ago, I remember you're trying to get a horse to lope a circle and you pull it to the right and it just takes off to the left. Well, that's because you're pulling it to the right. It's the opposite side is pulling their cheeks into the sharp teeth and they, they get scared. And then, so they run off, so you pull harder, so they run off more. Taking that time to understand that and start those babies early. And, and not only that, if their teeth are sharp, they're only going to chew their hair, the grain, five or ten strokes, and then swallow it. You clean that mouth up and give them that same handful of grain or mouthful of hay, they'll chew it 15 or 20 or 30 times more because they chew on one side only at a time. So if they're chewing on the left side, that bottom jaw is reaching over to the left, and it's making the cheeks get tight on the right. And when those teeth are sharp, and I'm talking them babies got needles, sharp teeth, it'll scrape the side. And they have big sores and ulcerations in their mouths from eating. So they don't want to chew their food as much. So they don't break it down into find enough particles for the enzymes in their system to utilize it to get to certain parts of their body. And they secrete more acid, even especially the older horses. Uh, They'll chew a little bit and swallow it so their food goes whole. You secrete more acid. Now you got more problems with ulcers and diarrhea and all, you know, a whole lot of different things that go along with it versus one that has a good mouth. It's like a mortar and a pestle, pedestal. You, you've got a big rock and a little rock. You put some grain on there. You can mash it up. But if you've got a big rock and a pointed stick, you can't mash it up. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the reason why. Uh, alfalfa pellets and hay cubes and pelletized grain and that kind of stuff why horses do really good on it it's all pre-chewed so it's highly digestible for their system that's why they look good on it Mm -hmm. or green grass you know when i lived in california the grass grew a lot in the winter in the summer it dried up so or any time, or even vice versa here, when you have green grass, it's highly digestible. All they got to do is get it in their mouth, chew a little bit, swallow it. They do great on it. As soon as the grass dries up and you got to start feeding them hay, their body condition drastically changes on a lot of horses. So that's why they get fat on green grass and hay cubes, alfalfa pellets, pelleted feed, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, when they can't, they don't chew their food good enough or their surface is not good enough or their teeth are too sharp that they don't want to chew it much, then you get problems internally with their their system. Stress. And then not only that, you're trying to ride them and train them and their mouth is hurting and their head is up in the air because you got inch and a half hooks, which is the last tooth on the bottom, gets real long and it gets in behind the top tooth and it overpowers it. They can't put their head down because now that tooth is behind the top and it hurts for them to lower their head. So it becomes stress. So now they can't chew good and you're they're having stress being trained and ridden. There you go with some more ulcers and armed intervention and all kinds of other problems. It is so important to keep that mouse looked at and in check and balanced. And uh, it 
it changes those horses' lives. Yeah. So I feel like everything just keeps circling back around to have a correctly balanced mouth. I mean, just what you were explaining about, you know, a horse just chewing on one side and then only chewing a few times and you know, there's yeah. and you know, then then you have your vet out because your horse, you know, has the runs yeah. and and then yeah. they pull a CBC on it and says, well, its blood work is pretty good, but it all goes yeah. back to having a correctly balanced mouth. I, you know, God gave me this as a gift because I don't even know how. I, I never graduated high school. I would have thought I'd be teaching a school or teaching people. But it's something, a passion that... It's hard, hard to explain. But all this stuff that I'm talking about can alter a horse's life. Either for the good or to the bad. And we'll, and we talk about a paradigm. Let's say uh, there's horses that uh, I'll look at her 14 years old, 15 years old, 18 years old, 12, even 10. Maybe been done, maybe not been done. Their mouths are a train wreck. So let's. What is a paradigm? It's something that's going ongoing. Say a child, for example, he gets about twelve or fifteen years old. Up to then, not so bad. Now he gets in with the wrong crowd. Oh, now he gets into drugs. Now we're getting into stealing. So his life cycle or his paradigm is going to get bad until he either dies or ends up in jail. You follow what I'm saying? Yes. He gets on the wrong path versus a child that grows up maybe in a Christian home. Everything stays good. He's always managed. Uh, his life is good. He's had good upbringing, good parents. He's been taught to do well and excels. Correct. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, the child that's bad, can his paradigm be altered and changed? Yes. Through rehab. He might have to go through rehab. Get, get fixed, get corrected, get off the drugs, go AA, whatever it is that he's got to do to get back on the right path. So the mouth of a horse is this way. They're only born with three three teeth, uppers and lowers uh, on each side, four, all four quadrants. But there's only three. At, at one, he gets his next one. At two, the next one. They don't even get all their teeth in there till they're five and meeting all until they're five years old. So that paradigm is still correct, right? Mm -hmm. So now he lives in a stable environment. He don't get the graze. He eats with his head up all the time. That jaw gets misaligned. The, the incisors, the front teeth, outgrow the back teeth. So as their head goes up and down, those back teeth don't touch no more. When the head goes down, they come apart. So now by the time they're 15, that mouse is got huge hooks, ramps, waves, the paradigm, that mouth is gone completely out of whack from what it's supposed to be because he's not living in his normal environment. So as an equine dentist, we can go in there, make those corrections on all those teeth, change the angle and the length of those front teeth, set him back to three-point balance. Now we altered that paradigm because his paradigm is destructing his own mouth. And I see lots of horses ruining their own mouth year after year after year because they don't get what they need. You go in there and rebalance and change it. Now you got you now you got a brand new normal paradigm. Now it's easy to maintain that. 
again, you can alter the paradigm of the mouse. If you, the best is to start early, never let it get bad. You, you follow what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. So that's that's what I do. That's why I try to educate my my clients and people to here here. This is the best way that we notice and see, and and then we we know what their mouths look like and maintain them. Or if they hit their head or bite a rock and crack a tooth or something happens. You know, a lot of horses get sold over and over and over again due to a bad mouse. And the older the horse gets, the worse the mouse gets, the more problems it has. Until finally, he's an outlaw. He's the, His mother was that way. Oh, his, that, his dad was that way. And it's not even that a lot of times. It's they're, they're not maybe getting the right fit in their mouse. And because their mouth gets so bad and then people start tying their head around and doing other things to, oh, I can fix them. And, I, you know, I've been there. I can fix this horse. And, yeah. So now they flip over. They fall down. They get bent around. Their neck gets out of place. The atlas gets out of place. Now you got another problem because the mouth caused a problem to get the neck out of line. You know, I mean, it's just yeah. it's a chain reaction. That's crazy. I just couldn't imagine someone not wanting just to cycle back around and say, hmm, let's just call our dentist or our vet and have them come out and check their mouth. I mean, again, it just keeps cycling back around to having a simple mouth examination. Um, so speaking of things not fitting properly in their mouth, I want to cycle back and kind of talk about bit seats a little bit. I know a long time ago there was a controversy about whether a bit seat was a proper thing to have in a horse's mouth, and I don't understand why it wouldn't be. Um, I'm going to let you take the reins on that and explain to us a little bit more in depth about that, please. And this is a big to-do nowadays. Uh, they want to call it uh, rostral profiling or they don't want to do bit seats. You know, bit seats are bad. So you have the first upper and lower molars right there by the lips, right where the bit goes. Those teeth sometimes get real even if they don't get ramps or long hooks on them, they're real pointy and real sharp. And every time you pull on a bit, the cannons of the, so I'm going to talk about the lower, the lower molars. You start pulling, picking up on the bit, there's a lot of loose, pouchy flesh on the bars of a horse's mouth sometimes. So it'll pinch that skin, it'll ball it up, pinch it between that bit and that tooth. And they react to it. Or... The lips, if you use a, a rope gag or any kind of gag or draw bit, it'll fold that bottom lip around the front corners of those teeth. And I can show you hundreds of pictures of how how tore up those mouths get from uh, that happening. And the other thing that happens, and why horses get broken down bars. So let's say you have a straight up solid bit with the curb chain. Well, when the curb chain kicks into the chin as you're pulling on the bit, that bars of, of the the cannons of the, of the bit slide up on the bars. They catch on that lower molar, and they drive that cannons of the bit down deeper under their bars. And, and some people keep pulling and pulling and pulling until they break the bars down in them. So, mm -hmm. and same on the uppers, that lip gets pulled into them, any draw gags, egg butt bits, anything that pulls into the, the corners and the fronts of those teeth, the lip folds clear around the inside. A lot of people don't know that. So we round those off. We take the outside and the inside edge and round it off. 
and we take the front edge and round it under on the top and um, on the bottom we round it towards the back so if you took two spoons and put them together the backs of the spoons butt to butt and imagine that's what a bit seat would look like it's rounded in the front rounded on the sides now when you pick up on the bit there's no sharp edges no sharp points for the bit to pull any tissue into or the tongue and that's another thing when that bit locks down on the on those bottom molars and you keep pulling the tongue sits above those bottom molars it mashes the tongues clear down on their bars and into those sharp points well if i round those off if you took two spoons and put them upside down butt to butt you'd see how they're rounded and sloped well when that bit hits the tooth it lifts up off of the bars of their mouth, off the tongue. There's, they can't, they can't hurt anything. So, you ever, ever see it or have anybody have a horse that when you, he maybe a stronger kind of a horse, gassier horse, and you pick up on him because he wants to go, he starts breathing hard. And when you loosen the reins, they, they breathe better. It's called induced roaring. A lot of that comes when, because those horses want to go and you pick up on the bit. It's mashing the tongue down on top of those sharp teeth. Their tongue is huge in there. So the base of the tongue is way in the back. So he sucks his tongue back. The base of the tongue hits the soft palate behind the soft palate, the epiglottis. So when that happens, the more pressure, the more the epiglottis closes, the less they can breathe. The more, then they can't, they can't get air. Then they get really excited. This is why racehorse people take a rag and tie it around their tongue and pull it forward and tie it down under their chin. So they they say, so he's going to swallow his tongue. No, he's not swallowing his tongue. He's sucking his tongue back. The base of the tongue is huge, and it hits the soft palate, and it closes the epiglottis on the back. So they restricted airflow. Racehorse can't run without air, and they get when they run out of air, those horses get a little goofy. Yeah. So I would too. There's so much performance, you know, just can go for hours and hours talking about all this but um so bit seats are really important and they're they're hard to do to do properly because the horses don't like to get them done usually the lower molars are a little more sensitive because they've been out of balance so they vibrate more you've got to have special better equipment different kinds of equipment to do them uh and then you you might bump their gums a little and the worst is if you don't know what you're doing, you can open it up, hit a pulp chamber, and then that can be a problem later on. But, you know, the cavalry, the years ago, the cavalry, you think about not just the, the cowboy and Indian days, but clear back then, the cavalry, every 12th infantry person in the cavalry was trained in equine dentistry every fifth in shoeing. And they had a dental roll, a big leather roll with speculums. Uh, molar extractors, uh, elevators, floats, everything. They and they did bit their hand in their handbook. They showed how to do bit seats, um, and the reason why. And you think about the thousands and thousands of horses used in World War One and Two in Korea that pulled the cannons, the guns. People don't even think about thousands of horses were used in the wars, and so they knew how to take care of them. They knew how to help them. I guarantee. I guess if even clear back to the crusade days, they're, they're fighting on horses. They teach those horses how to run and jump and kick each other and whirl the lippers on stallions. That's techniques for fighting if you're in a war swinging a sword. 
<laughs> I just want my horse to be able to jump and whirl and kick too yeah. and be able to handle him <laughs> with ease. So they knew how to do their teeth. I mean, there's evidence clear back to that. Some of the first power equipments was in the 1930s. The Germans had already power equipment. It's been lost. We got an industrialized revolution. Horses went by the wayside. A lot of this stuff's gotten lost over the years and now it's coming back because the horses are more expensive there's you know the horse show industry is growing the yeah the rodeo thing's growing you know it's all you can't hardly make any mistakes anymore because it's gotten so tough to win so anybody that can do anything to help their horse do better that's that's what's happened let's specifically chat about the front teeth this was something that blew my mind i never knew how important it was to have straight front teeth um so often you see i see pictures of horses that have crooked smiles or they're crooked explain why having straight front teeth that are balanced are so important yeah if they're at a diagonal or a frown or a smile they'll call it just in layman's terms or a diagonal is something like we call a wedge. It makes the jaw step to one side or the other. It alters the TMJ joint. When that TMJ joint is not lined up or, or in place, as same with uh, overlong teeth in the back of the mouth, it maxes the muscles, tendons, and ligaments are stretched. And nowadays, everybody's injecting the TMJ joints. The incisors dictate the placement of the TMJ joint and the molars. Same as the atlas and axis, they can cause a TMJ joint to be displaced. And people say, "Well, you adjusted it." Well, if you don't, if you don't adjust the, the the incisors and put it to the correct angle and have it even all straight across, that joint can't cannot sit where it needs to. Again, this is another controversial thing with a, a lot of dentists and some veterinarians. And I'm not trying to be negative or anything, but you hear it all the time. Oh, you should never let anybody work on those three incisors. Don't let them touch the incisors. Listen, in a stable environment, those incisors keep growing and growing and getting longer and steeper. And the steeper they get, when the bottom jaw moves forward, then the molars come apart. Then the molars can't touch anymore unless their head is up in the air. The higher their head is, the further the jaw goes back, they get contact with their molars, and that's what they're looking for. But when the angle, the incisors get so so long and the angle gets so steep, it hurts them to put their head down or forward. And they, it's just, it. There, therein lies what I say, the three-point balance. Because when they eat hay and grain, it absolutely does no wear to the incisors. So everybody's doing the back teeth, floating the back teeth, grinding the back teeth. The, chew, the horse is chewing, eating grains and eating this and eating hay, wearing out the back teeth. wearing. So all pretty soon, you have a three-quarter inch gap between your molars. They can't even touch anymore. And then again, they can't break their food down if they can't crush it and pulverize it. So you make the adjustment, you shorten those incisors and change that angle back to where it should be that allows the molars to sit together now when the head goes up or down they stay together they're comfortable again sometimes as early as three or four we have to make an adjustment on those horses on the incisors but most generally on average you're about five or six seven before you ever have to do that and you don't have to do it every time 
if you got a horse that has an overjet or an overbite, you want to maintain that every six months. You'll have to because there's nothing that will wear it off. and It'll just get longer and steeper. But a lot of horses, you maybe only have to do a little bit of work once you get it set right every couple of years or three years, and, and it's real minimal. It, it's really important that the incisors are addressed so the back works. If you do the back teeth and not the front, uh, at, you know, if, they're, if they need it in the front, you're, you, that horse is not going to do well. Again, it's, well, well, I'll tell you, I've, I've had this happen so many times. Five-year-olds, six-year-olds, I did their teeth. Right, they come, no, still not riding right. I'd look at them again, do some more work in the motors. And I, no, and I'm thinking, well, gosh, these incisors don't look that bad, but I'd go ahead and do them and change that angle. Next day, brand new horse. Immediately next day, brand new horse. Wow. It, it takes the pressure up. You know, I've seen a lot of horses over the years act and look like they had EPM because their mouths were such train wrecks. Once you balance and clean them up, and a couple of days later, everything relaxes. and It's just the way they kind of carry their body. So if they're, they're high-headed, they're going to hollow out in their back, be sore in the hocks because they, it hurts too much. To, and if they're low-headed and pushing, peanut roll, you know, pushing against you, and on the front end all the time, then they get, you know, it's just they can't stay balanced. Those horses change. Uh, a lot of times we've seen it a lot. Not saying that, you know, were they diagnosed with EPM or not? No, but did they act and look like they traveled terrible and bad? Yeah. Especially at the clinics, you'd, you'd work those mouths, and a lot of those horses would be different in a day or two, maybe even the next day. It's real important to get somebody that knows, make sure your mouth is in three-point balance correct. The incisors are adjusted to allow the molars to work. And, and the opposite thing, you can't have the molars too tight and a gap between the incisors. We, we tried that for years, a few years back, too, when we first started. Uh, but again, there wasn't any equipment. First incisor jobs we did was with hoof rasping because they were the sharpest thing to get it down the fastest. But now we have really, really good equipment that makes it simple and easy to adjust and take care of them. And, uh, yeah, it's... It's really important that the insiders be maintained as well and, and adjusted so the back can fit correct. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get into some true and false questions. I had a lot of people that contacted me with some really good questions. So let's start off. I'm going to give you three true or false questions, and I'm going to let you take it from there. So the first one was from Facebook. Um, the question was, bad dental work can affect a horse's TMJ. Yeah. Again, here's how. A right-handed person, a lot of dentists do the whole mouth right-handed. So you have angles. Those molars aren't flat in there. They set at an angle. If you steepen or flatten those angles and don't maintain the angles for that horse at a particular time in his life, let's say a dominant right-handed person goes in there and they're going to flatten. They usually, I see this a lot, they flatten the upper and lower molars on the horse's left side. If they're looking in the mouth, the dentist is looking in the mouth, then they're doing the horse's left side, you know, not to, the, the, it'd be right hand to the guy, the onside, I'll just call it that, the, mm -hmm. the onside or offside, the side you get on. 
they have a tendency to overwork and flatten those. So when they go across to do the other side, the right side of the horse or the offside, they use their right hand. Well, if you're if you sitting right there and you stick your hand out with your palm up, well, your right hand will coordinate with the angles on the other side. If if you do it on the, to the near side, it won't. So they so people go overwork the near side of the horse because it's really easy, and they do it right handed. They don't get the angles correct on the offside. They get them too steep. Oh. Now, when you close the mouth, the steep side of the angle pushes it to the flat side. So now your jaw pushes off. Your bottom jaw, it moves left and right. It has to be centered for the TMJ joint to be correct. If you flatten the one side and steepen the other, immediately when the mouth shuts, it shoves that jaw to the flat side. Now your joint is out of place. Uh, not out of place, but it's not sitting straight. Make sense? Yeah. And because the teeth erupt all their life, the steeper side just keeps getting steeper and the flatter side keeps getting flatter. A year later, now your front teeth are crooked because they can't they can't travel to the steep side. It can't and they can't chew and they're gonna hold their head sideways and <laughs> Yeah, that's not good. So it it can you you can cause TMJ joint problems. Same as if you do the molar work and the incisors are real long and the angle's steep and you don't address that, now you put too much pressure on the on the ins uh, the TMJ joint. Because you load the, you took it off the molars, loaded it on the TMJ joint. Does that you, you follow what I'm saying? Yep. But if I do the front teeth so the molars come in contact with the same pressure of the incisors, now your TMJ joint can relax. When a horse has big ramps in the back of the hooks, or upper, we call it upper 10 seconds of the last tooth, when they close their mouths, those teeth are already so long, the muscles, tendons, and ligaments that hold the TMJ joint in place are maxed out. So when you put the bit way out in the front, it's like a big lever. Now you want to turn your hook and you move that bottom jaw to the left or to the right. That's why they throw their head up in the air because it, it's pulling on the muscles and ligaments that are already stretched out. But if we balance those molars, reset the angle of the incisors, now that joint can sit up into place and move like it's supposed to. It takes the pressure off of those tendons and muscles and ligaments. It would be like a, if you open your truck hood and got a post and stuck it up there by the hinge of your truck hood and, and shut the hood, it springs the hinge. Well, well, that's what the bad teeth do to the TMJ joint, to the muscles, tendons, and ligaments of the joint. And then that becomes a problem and, a, and another problem. Then pretty soon, well, we're getting tie-downs and brain chains and, you know, we're trying to fix the problem. The problem's in the mouth. So, yeah, it, it can, it cannot, you cannot, if you don't get it right, it can alter whether TMJ joint sets correct. Question number two, you can tell a horse's age by their teeth yes okay true cool that we have we have aging contests all the time i've been i've won a couple reserve champion a lot of people that i've taught one of my students now is running a school he's got a really good uh it's called chap it's an app you get and you take pictures of your horse and you put it into this app and it, it's pretty accurate to tell you how old your horse is. He did a great job with this, with the computers, and it's really, really good for the general public. Uh, it's amazing. I know people that have won aging contests using that app. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
family. Well, that's a little unfair nowadays. <laughs> that's anyway, awesome. Yeah, yeah, for sure you can tell the age. Clear up to, if you know what you're doing, you, if you can get within two to three years, you can really age good. And somebody says, well, you can only age them up to 20 or 15 or no if you if you know and you practice and study it daily you can age them clear up into their 30s if you know what you're doing and looking for wow what's the oldest horse you've ever seen oh boy uh, 40 wow good one that was 40 then i have and i don't know if it's true or not but here maybe it was this summer or last spring I, and maybe it was on Facebook. Somebody had a horse they claimed was 52 years old. I, I don't know if that's true or not or how accurate, but... It was on Facebook, seen, so it had to be true. It must be. <laughs> but I've actually I've seen papers on, on one that was 40 one time. Wow. So yeah. it would be about the oldest that I've seen. Yeah. All right, last true-false question. Young horses only have three sets of caps. When they're born, they're born with no teeth. Six to eight days, they get their three, uh, their premolars in and their front central incisors. The baby teeth come in. So those okay. three are, are, are deciduous. Those are premolars. The last, the last three teeth in a row of a horse come in permanent. They don't have caps or deciduous predecessors. You know, they come in permanent. The first three molars on a horse come in. Those are baby teeth. At two and a half, that first molar cap sheds at three the next one sheds at three and a half the next one sheds so so yes they shed three caps per molar arcade on top and the bottom they do have three caps that they shed in the molars and then all the incisors they shed at the centrals two and a half the next one's at three and a half and the last one's the corner teeth at four and a half and here's another thing that I want to address, the canine teeth. You know, a lot of people call them wolf teeth. Right where the bit goes, you got those, they think they're wolf teeth. Those are canine teeth or bridal teeth. Those are those teeth are for a male horse to fight with. And they don't get those, they don't even come in until around four to four and a half. And the purpose of those canine teeth is, is uh, for fighting, basically. Mares generally don't get them and if they do they're real tiny so in the wild everything goes back to the wild uh the studs get their band of mares and they they keep their little band of mares circled up they got 10 mares 12 mares whatever 20 their little herd well the older studs got real long canine teeth when the younger studs start getting to where they want to steal some of their ladies they don't have very big canine teeth, so the, the older studs can fight them off with those canine teeth. They're they're they'll rip they'll really rip some stuff up. Oh man! And uh, and so they fight those young studs off, you know. And mm-hmm. in the wild, those studs and we pasture bred a lot of horses. They sometimes you'll see them studs get a hold of those mares' necks until they sit still. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they get them submitted. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's it's true. And those aren't wolf teeth. Those are canine teeth or bridal teeth. So they get those at four and a half. So, yeah, it's quite a fascinating deal with these horses' teeth. It's amazing. 
Yeah, well, I can remember when you pulled my mare's wolf teeth out. They were really little. <laughs> Poor thing, I felt so bad. I felt like a terrible horse mom. But you asked me, you said, do you want to keep them? I said, no, I don't want those. I don't need the memory of this day. I kept every cap and wolf tooth, every molar I've extracted for all these years. I have buckets and buckets and buckets full of caps and wolf teeth and and molars that we've taken out Mm -hmm. uh, is crazy. But, uh, uh, you know, the wolf teeth, again, that's that used to be supposedly prehistoric way back when they were fox size and leaf eaters mm-hmm. you know they went five toed and all that that was an extra molar that they had and over the years it's gotten bred out of them so the wolf teeth is a remnant of what used to be a functioning molar years and years thousands million years ago whatever um, and they can be in different positions and what it is is still the root systems there's three roots on the tooth on the top and the lower molars have two roots so sometimes you get lingual wolf teeth anterior inside outside uh, blind they come under the gum don't come out they come out like an elephant tusk on the sides and, uh, that's that's all the wolf teeth are but the biggest problem is <laughs> excuse me there they get in the way when you put the bridle on and pull it a bit it takes all that soft tissue in their lips and it pinches it between the points of them wolf teeth mm-hmm. and that's why they cause a problem yep so and they were causing big problems for us <laughs> so i was glad yeah, to see those yeah. okay so i have to wrap things up i have just a few questions from social media <coughs> i had quite a few questions that came rolling in from people um that personally had questions about their horses so i just grabbed a few that i thought that were that would be relevant to quite a few people listening to the podcast question one could a horse develop other health issues from having bad teeth absolutely periodontal disease gum disease uh these horses get a lot of feed packed in between and around teeth they they carry a low-grade infection you know over the years we figured out brood mares they often don't get their teeth taken care of and it's just it's mind-blowing to me uh, if they do once every five years, something. But just say broodmares, they get up in the age and their mouth gets out of balance. When a mouth becomes with large waves, protruding teeth, one tooth becomes dominant over another, it never gets better. It only gets worse. Each year it gets worse. So feed and hay pack in around the teeth. They get loose teeth, gum disease. They carry a low-grade infection in their system. And there's a lot of mares that won't settle because they got a low-grade and they they can't figure out why we got this low-grade infection. You clean up their mouth, put them on some antibiotics, and maybe you have to extract a molar or two or just at least get everything in balance again and get that cleaned up. Then the next year, they'll breed. We've seen so many mares get sold. And once some of these guys figured it out, they buy those mares, get their mouths worked on that they couldn't get bred for the last three years. They balance and fix their mouths up, get rid of that infection, and get them healthy. They'll breed again, hmm. and that that's crazy. Yeah, uh, so it, it for sure. And again, ulcers because if they can't chew their food good and break it down to find enough particles, again it goes in their system. Their system has to work twice as hard. 
they secrete more acid to break it down so the enzymes can use it to their body. And so uh, you get a lot of ulcer issues and stress from it and pain and mental problems. And it's, it is, you bet, they, it can cause a lot of health issues, yes. Yeah. For sure. So the number one most asked question whether we're talking about young colts, older horses, or even just your cute little mini lawn ornament that you have in the barn, how often would you recommend someone get their horse's teeth done? This is what I tell people, and for 30 years of doing it, and the only reason I, I do this, and a lot of people say, yeah, you, well, you just want to get more money. Uh, no, I'm, I'm in this first and foremost for the horse. When I do my job, then you can pay me, but whatever this horse needs, that's my goal. Uh, and that's where I go with it and what I do. Starting at two years of age, let's say. And, and I tell everybody, uh, if, if you do like, if you do yearlings, the growth sutures under their nose and stuff, they're not very strong. And you can, you can break their nose putting a speculum on that kind of stuff. Unless they're skinny or poor, you're usually okay. But starting at two, float, balance their mouths get rid of the wolf teeth when they start having caps take them off and do it every six months and i say do it every six months through their life you might look in there in six months on an older horse that's been done for several years and say hey he can go another three months or another six months but if you don't look in there every six months put a put a speculum on make sure there's no cuts or sores or cracked teeth or feed packing in between teeth any shark teeth performance wise again i don't care who does them within six months those their teeth start to get sharp again that becomes an issue for chewing riding everything so starting at two in my opinion every six months until till the end and i am just appalled when when these people are saying once a year that's all you got to do once every what maybe every two years and i'm like Evidently, you haven't looked in there very often because I see these horses sometimes in three months on these babies, and they there's things you got to do again, again because their teeth aren't in all the way until they're five. First of all, they don't even get them all in and come into wear and meeting properly till they're five. Uh, every six months, starting at two, that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so. Good. If people want to don't want to do it, then I don't know. It don't cost nothing to look in there. For me, I mean, I don't never charge for an exam, and it don't cost nothing to look. Yeah. And if there's some little thing, address it. It don't mean you have to charge a full price again. If you just got a couple little spots, charge accordingly. That I mean, I, I've done that forever. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, you don't know until you look. And in my opinion, you should check them every six months. Performance-wise, you're paying entry fees, truck payments, feed costs. You don't want to have an issue causing you not to win. Well, and exactly, yeah. If you if you're paying, if you got a good one D rodeo horse that's clocking great, but yet you don't want to get their teeth done every six months, and you're paying. Six thousand, or you know, I'm sorry, six hundred or thousand dollars for an entry fee, and all of a sudden they start shaking their head at the backside of the barrel. Well, honey, that's costing you time and money. Yeah, it's one one little hang up. It would cost you today because it's tough. It ain't. There's a lot of tough horses and people out there today. Yeah, I mean, look at you know the national finals rodeo that just wrapped up. Between first, second, yep. and third place was one hundredth of a second. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Question number three. 
Um, why does my horse tend to lose food out of the size of his mouth when he eats? Okay, lots of reasons for that. Uh, one, horses aren't designed to eat grain, but, but we're trying to feed it to them. I'm not saying I'm <laughs> that saying is so true. Don't feed grain, but they're a grazing animal, and their mouth is designed for that. We've fed grains throughout history. We're trained. We're schooled to do it. So whole grains that are around, because the horses have angles, they, they're harder to chew because they roll around. Uh, rolled, smashed, pulverized grains that are rolled oats, rolled or pelletized, much better for them. So the tongue works like a wall. The tongue is big. You have the sides of your cheeks, then you have the two, two rows of teeth, then the tongue. That tongue pushes the feed or grains into the sides between the cheek and the rows of teeth, and it holds it there, and they chew sideways. Jaw, bottom jaw goes down, out, up, and in. Well, if their teeth are sharp, they don't want to make you get a full stroke, you see, because it, it, it hurts on the opposite side because the teeth are sharp. When you round them edges up and keep them rounded, now they'll reach a full stroke. So if they reach a full stroke, they'll chew all the way back. Another thing that happens, again, going back to the incisors, if they're too long and you do too much work on the molars, you only get a half of the stroke of the molars working instead of 100% of their chewable lateral movement staying in contact. Then when they reach, it, it can't, they can't come in contact, so it falls out. And if the angles are too flat, they made the angles too flat. That causes them to drop it. The horse that sets back and pulls back or has been choked or roped, there's a thing that controls the tongue called the hyoid apparatus. It's a delicate apparatus that gets injured quite easily. Again, through horses setting back, they get roped or choked or something happens that way or they get an injury to it or like tongue tying the, the racehorses, I see those guys pulling on the tongues way too hard or somebody pulling the tongue doing dentistry too hard. It, it can injure that bone that controls the tongue. So if the hyoid apparatus gets injured and there are just two little bones in the back of the basioid hyoid that hook to a long bone that goes up to the potosal bone, which is the balance point of the ear, that can also affect everything. It cannot control the tongue very well, and that can be a big problem why they drop grain. There's lots of different reasons. I've had some horses of my own over the years, and a lot of people say, well, they're sloppy eaters. I have one horse I got when it was young, dropping feed and grain. Not hay, but grain. Different kinds of grain, no matter what kind of grain. I could never, could never, whatever I did, never got him to quit dropping grain. I don't know. So the other thing is saliva glands. If, if the feed is real dry and their saliva glands aren't working properly, um, halfway up between their uh, second and third molar, their saliva glands. When the hay gets to that point, it triggers those saliva glands to inject moisture into the hay or into the grain. Um, that's why, like horses that you feed whole oats that are real pointy, they get excessive saliva because those pointy oats are hanging on them saliva glands. If they don't produce enough saliva, they can't, uh, it, the, the grain just, it gets tacky and dry and they, they can't get a hold of it. So every time they chew it, it some spills out. Um, 
horses with large malocclusions, large waves, hooks, ramps, out of balance. They can't chew. They can't. They have to chew up and down instead of sideways. So every time they open their mouth and they can't chew sideways because the the teeth won't let it, then they open it to chew and some of it falls out. And they open another mouthful and some of it falls out to chew. So lots of different reasons. Uh, again, start young. Keep their mouth balanced. Uh, make sure there's no loose caps, baby teeth. Everything works. You have contact from the TMJ to the molars to the incisors. All of that's going to help. But there, there's lots of different reasons why they some of them spill grain and some of them never do. A lot of it, again, it depends on the saliva glands, the sharp teeth, the fit of the mouth, the hyoid apparatus, is the tongue working properly? Um, just are the incisors too long? If the incisors are too long, they can't get a hold of the, the grain because they can't get enough. You'll have a half an inch gap when they're at center. So the only place they can chew is on the outside one one half of the row of the teeth instead of the whole row. And I that's know miserable, this, yeah. You know, because the front teeth get too long, you see? Mm-hmm. So it's, and that's why some really old horses that when their teeth are expired more out, There'll be an inch gap. They can't. They can't get any contact between the molars whatsoever. That's really hard for them to eat grain. The best thing you can do there is soak alfalfa cubes or pellets, hay pellets, something like that. Wow. But yeah, that's that's a lot of the reasons why horses drop grain. Wow. So. Well, this has truly been mind blowing. I had no idea that there was so much to equine dentistry. You know, I have such a tremendous amount of respect for you randy and everything you've done and still are doing for the horse industry your passion for what you do is so contagious and i could not be more happy to have you on the podcast to educate us all so please tell us where we can find you on social media and if anybody wanted to pursue a dream in equine dentistry how can they get started yeah uh well they can get a hold of me and i'm pointing them in the right direction I have a lot of people, I tell them, look, if you want to do this, why don't, you know, go with me for a couple of weeks and watch and see if you want to do this before you jump off in there and spend the money and the time and, you know, does your state allow it? Are you going to, you know, you're going to get certified, not certified. So lots of things to think about in this deal, but uh, I can help out pretty much anybody that's interested in it, kind of getting them straight and narrow equipment and all that kind of stuff but get them lined out you can find randy on facebook with the name his mama gave him randy Redinger. that's r-i-e-d-i-n-g-e-r while you're there click your way on over to our page the barrel horse life podcast i post some pretty funny memes Support for the Barrel Horse Life podcast comes from Drawdout. You can purchase their complete line of products at LonePrairiePHS.com using offer code Amy10. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you down the road.